0: Indeed, O oh God, we recognize that we are such short-sighted, such um, such limited people, and so we come and ask for you to be our vision, for you to direct us and guide us, and lead us into decisions that are helpful and not hurtful. Father, we're we're all scarred by having uh, played around with sin too much in the past. We we bring our scars to you. We we thought that we were uh, making good decisions. We thought that they would um, make life simple and more enjoyable. And yet, we ended up believing the wrong voice. And and we are constantly being challenged with uh, who to believe. Who's telling us the truth. Which voice can I listen to? And so I pray, oh God, that for your people you'll be our vision. That you will incline your ears to the voice of your people, that we might find ourselves being directed by a God who has flung the universe into existence. And if that weren't enough, he then saw fit to redeem in Christ Jesus. He saw fit to make it possible for a sinner such as I to be restored and reconciled and and brought into the family of God, and 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 there find eternal safety and acceptance. So, O oh God, indeed, we beg you to be our vision, but not only that, Father, be our all in all. We want you to be our vision and our hearing and our leader, our rock, our shield, our fortress, our refuge, all of it, Father. Be that for us. Lord God, uh, it has been somewhat of a moving weekend for a lot of people, uh, the reminders of the enormous sacrifices that have been made so that we can stand here and, and enjoy all the liberties that we have, all of the, uh, the prosperity that we enjoy, Father, um, in, in some measure is tied to um, uh, sacrifices that were made by men and women before us. And we uh, cannot and pray that you'll forgive us if we ever have. Take that for granted. We we celebrate, O oh God, the, um, the freedoms that we enjoy in this country, but they are freedoms that were purchased for us, freedoms that were fought and died for. And so, Lord, uh, might we treasure them all the more. And thus we pray for the leaders of our country. We pray for the men in um, leadership and decision-making positions, Oh God, grant them wisdom from on high. We um, we recognize that if left to ourselves, we will head in the wrong direction, and so we plead with you, Father. We plead with you to, um, to draw nigh to the decision makers of this country. Our Father, um, we pray for people who limp in here, having um, just found out this past week of... What they would consider to be not good news. And I pray, Heavenly Father, that you might bring comfort to them. Speak clearly through whatever is said and prayed and sung and, and uh, communicated, Lord. Might it, might it be that which brings nourishment and healing and health to the soul. Father, we, um, we want to use the monies that you give us to advance the cause of Jesus Christ. We're not in this to uh, build uh, a, uh, a monument we're not interested in the reputations that men have. What we're wanting to do, Father, is think that you would see fit to use folks like us to advance the kingdom of your Savior, your Son, and our Savior. Now, Father, take every dime of this. It is is—it is a small portion, but it is a portion of what you've provided. and We pray that you'll use it to bring glory to yourself. We ask it, of course, in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, having said that, we're going to um, say goodbye to uh, a, a book that we've been studying for the last two and a half years. We're going to wrap up um, the book, our study of the book of Acts today, and we're going to do so somewhat unconventionally. Um, you might have noticed that in the um, in the bulletin, I mentioned that there was like four or five chapters that we wanted to take a look at, and we're going to. We're going to take a look at at least snatches out of those um, out of those chapters, and and thus I really don't have a text for you. That is, I don't have a single text. But what I wanted to do, let me let me try to explain what I'm up to. Um, I think some of you might remember that um, when we were in Hungary for the month of March. I kind of devoted my time over there to studying the last 11 chapters of the book of Acts and knowing that I was going to come back and try to finish it all up um, by, by dealing with it somewhat thematically. and Because there's a lot of repetition in those last 11 chapters and some of it I didn't... Um, uh, for instance, Paul's testimony is in there twice. I didn't think it would be good just to go verse by verse looking at the testimony twice. and so. So I tried to arrange things uh, uh, that were similar and put them under one heading, which I somewhat have accomplished. But once I completed that, there were still some portions of the last eleven chapters that were that were interesting, they were intriguing, they were inspiring, um, and I didn't want you to miss them. But they they didn't um They weren't significant enough, at least in my mind, to spend 30 minutes on. But I I didn't want you to miss some of these these things that are woven into these last 11 chapters. And so, here's what I've done. Um, I have kind of collected four of them. And uh, they they have no connection to each other. All four of my, my points, they have really no connection with each other. What they are is just significant parts of the story um, that I have arranged so that you would get um that you'd be exposed to more of the last eleven chapters than 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 I've been able to in the first five weeks of this little series. So, guys, do you understand what I'm doing? I'm I'm just putting together some um um some some stories that were included in these last eleven chapters. They have no relationship to each other. Um, But they're important enough that I didn't want to bypass them and close the book without you seeing at least some of them. So That's what we're doing. Some of them are just downright whimsical, uh, at least for me. And and what I'm also hoping is that um, as you listen to this, which I hope you'll listen, (laughs) um, that you'll learn at least, or at least you'll pick up at least how I study the Bible. I'm not saying that you should study it like this, but it might communicate um, how one might study the Bible if one was so inclined, which I hope all of you are. So, you ready? You understand what I'm doing? You understand what I'm up to? This is kind of a Paul Harvey. This is the rest of the story kind of thing. We're gonna we're gonna link four little vignettes together that have no um, um, relationship to each other except they might be considered all challenges, except the last one. But the first three are just challenges to us, and I hope that as I go through this, you'll figure out how you might more profitably um, study the Bible yourself. All right, having said all that, let's start in chapter 21. Acts chapter 21. I'm not going to read you this whole story. Um, because time doesn't permit me to do so. But uh, let me just read you the opening couple of verses, and then I'll fill in the blanks for you. I'm in Acts 21, beginning at verse 18. On the following day, Paul went in with us to James, and all the elders were present. When he had greeted them, he told them in detail those things which God had done among the Gentiles through his ministry. And when they heard it, they glorified the Lord, and they said to him, You see, brother, how many myriads of Jews there are who have believed, and they are are all zealous for the law. But they have been informed about you, that you teach all the Jews who are among the Gentiles to forsake Moses, saying that they ought not to circumcise their children, nor to walk according to the customs. What then? The assembly must certainly meet, for they will hear that you have come, therefore... Do what we tell you, for we have four men who have taken a vow. Alright. Let's stop there. Let me, let me tell you what's going on here. Uh, Paul, as you know, is the missionary to the Gentiles. And he's roaming about all these non-Jewish places, and people are being won to Christ as a result of his ministry. And so he comes back to Jerusalem for this visit, and with him he brings some Gentile believers. And so he goes in to meet with James and all the the leaders of the church, and and he reports to them all the wonderful things that are happening in his missionary journeys. And, of course, introduces them to some Gentile believers. And the the leaders of the church, who were, of course, um, ethnically Jewish, are um, celebrating the fact that God has done such a great thing amongst Gentiles. But you'll notice in verse 21... Uh, at 20 and 21, we're told that there's a lot of Jews here in Jerusalem that think that you're violating all the standards and all the traditions that we've been taught as Jews. And so all of the leaders of the church, Paul is meeting with them, telling them what happened. They're very excited about that. But they say to Paul, now listen, Paul, um, you know, there's some rumors afoot about you and, and uh, Jewish tradition. And you got these Gentiles with you now, and that ain't going to fly among a bunch of Jewish believers. And so, um, Paul, here's what we want you to do, uh, in verse um, uh, in verse 23. Therefore, do what we tell you. And so they cook up this scheme. They cook up this scheme that they are to that Paul is to take these uh, Gentile believers and circumcise them, and and then uh, uh, and then by so doing. They would prove to the Jewish Christian church in Jerusalem that Paul is not the bad guy that they all heard that he was. Now, that's the story. And I thought it was downright, well, no. It's a a tad comical as what goes on here. Now, remember, who is Paul meeting with? He is meeting with James and all the elders and all the big wigs and all the big shots and all the leaders and all the smart guys and all the spiritual giants and, and the guys that are in, you know, charge of things. He's meeting with the leaders of the church in Jerusalem and they say, we got a plan. Here's the plan, Paul. You just do what we tell you. Uh, we got this uh, little problem here in Jerusalem, but don't worry about it, Paul, because we got a plan. We got this thing figured out in such a way that if you'll just do what we tell you, Paul, it'll just be fine. Just do what we tell you. So Paul does. (laughs) You know what happens to him? Well, there's a riot in the synagogue and uh, uh, Jews rush in and try to kill him. and, um, uh, and, and, And were it not for Roman intervention, Paul would have been murdered on that day. Now, guys, um, again, you might see the uh, the, the distorted uh, uh, way I approach my study of the Bible. But, guys, I'm reading this passage and I'm thinking, here's the best the church has to offer. Here's the leaders of the church. Here's James. Here's all the smart guys. Here's all the spiritual giants. And these guys are in charge of the church. And, and they know what to do. And they put together a plan. And they say to Paul, okay, Paul, you go do what we tell you. And if you do what we tell you, it'll work fine. And what happens? It ends up in abject disaster. (laughs) Paul is almost murdered as a result of taking the advice of the best that the church could offer. Paul is dragged almost to his death because he did do exactly what the leaders of the church told him to do. How about that? Does that give you any cause for concern that the that the best that the church has in terms of leadership came up with such a plan that was so utterly and terribly flawed? you know what, ladies and gentlemen that's one of the things that you pay me for is to you know kind of lead things and um come up with plans that will be um, uh profitable and fruitful for the people of god and And to put together things, Jimmy, that will that will benefit us as as we all seek to chase after the Lord Jesus. Well, ladies and gentlemen, the best that the church had to offer put together a plan, and it was absolutely disastrous. There's a lesson here, ladies and gentlemen. (laughs) There's a lesson for leader and follower. And and the the lesson is, at our best, at our best, we are still, that is, leaders, at their best, are still so terribly inadequate. Men and their plans, at their best, are still so terribly inadequate. You know, guys... um, You've heard these texts, at least I hope you have. This one's in Proverbs chapter 16. It says, a man's heart plans his way, but the Lord directs his step. How about this one in in Proverbs chapter 19? Uh, There are many plans in a man's heart. Nevertheless, the Lord's counsel, that will stand. Gang, you have have committed yourself to the leadership of a church here at Gracie Van. Most of you have. And you know what? Those people who lead at their best are so terribly inadequate. The plans that they're coming up with, you know, some of them might be good. Some of them might be disasters. The the, the men who have been charged with the responsibility of leading God's people come up with plans that are incredibly flawed. How about that? So you know what? what I think you ought to do in response to that little story, I think you ought to beg God to overrule the foolishnesses of the men that you have charged to lead you. It's terrifying to me that men as spiritually... Um, uh, mature as these could have come up with a plan like this that would have resulted in a disaster like that. <laughs> but you know what? I can do that too. And so can your elders. The elders, you know, that you elected to lead you in this church, we can put our heads together, ladies and gentlemen, and you know what you'll come up with? Perhaps. Disaster. Because men at their best are just men. And men's planning at its best is so inadequate. Just like you see here. So if I were you, I would suggest that you plead with God for the men that are um, the leaders. That was one story I wanted you to see. Here's the second one that I wanted you to see. Guys, um, if you read, oh, beginning really at about chapter 13 of the book of Acts through the end, you'll notice that Paul is without question the dominant personality in, in all of the New Testament. That is, except for Jesus Christ, Paul is the dominant personality in all of the, all of the New Testament. He was out front, uh, and God had given him gifts so that he could be out front. Uh, he is the undisputed, although perhaps the unofficial, but the undisputed leader of the early church. But as I read the last 11 chapters of Acts one of the things that struck me is the is the panoply of people who um, who are mentioned and came across the pages of these last 11 chapters who played such an incredibly significant role in this whole enterprise of which Paul was the leader. I don't have we don't have time to look at all the texts. can I mention a few of them for you? Uh, chapter 18, verse 3, Priscilla and Aquila, 18.5, Silas and Timothy, 18.7, Justice and Crispus, 18.17, uh, Sosthenes, 19.22, Erastus, 19.29, Gaius and Aristarchus, 1930, an unnamed group of friends from Asia. Chapter 20, verse 4, Sopater, Tichius, Trophimus. Chapter 20, verse 6, Luke. Chapter 20, verse 36, elders from Ephesus. Chapter 21, verse 8, Philip. Chapter 21, verse 9 and 10, Agabus and his four daughters. 21, 16, nation of Cyrus. There was Apollos. There was another group of friends that is mentioned in chapter 27. These last 11 chapters are crammed full of all of these various people that come alongside Paul as the leader of the church and help him to accomplish what it is that he's up to. Now, guys, um... Uh, again, time doesn't allow me to go through all and detailing all that they did. I do want to tell you one story, however. Just one story. And it doesn't come from the last 11 chapters. It comes from chapter 9. Let me tell you the story. You know what happens in Acts 9? That's when Paul's converted on the road to Damascus. Remember that? Remember that? He's struck down by this bolt of light, and there he is blind. And he, you know, they lead him into Damascus, and and then uh, this man comes and and he um, and he's converted. Right after Paul is converted, he begins to go into the synagogue and dialogue with Jewish scholars. And in uh, as the result of that, he so confounded the Jewish scholars that they wanted to kill him. And um, as a result of their wanting to kill him, some friends came alongside Paul and suggested that he get into a basket and uh, they could lower him down through a window that is on the city wall of Damascus. They had guards. I mean, his uh, the Jewish leaders had guards at the gates of the city and they were waiting for Paul to kill him. And so these uh, these. These people come along and say, Paul, we've got to get you out of town, and here's how we're going to do it. We're going to stick you in a basket, and we're going to lower you down throughout the window, down by the city wall, and then you run like a, like a scared puppy. Now, guys, um, I don't know how much Paul weighed, but I'm suggesting that not one man could have held on to the ropes that were attached to the basket in which was found the apostle Paul as they lowered him down the wall of Damascus. I don't know how many there were, but let's say there were three. You know, maybe there were two, maybe there were five, I don't know how many there were, but let's say there were three. Three men who were standing there at the window, lowering the apostle Paul down in the basket so that he could flee from the people who wanted to kill him. Does anybody know their names? I don't either. They were unnamed nobodies, but without them. Paul was dead meat (laughs) like that and they're all over this story people that never appear again and they 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 show up they they provide this enormously wonderful service and Paul goes out and becomes the leader of the church and plants churches all over Asia Minor because people were standing at the window holding a rope you know what reminded me of um You know, I I don't know all the words. Maybe Cindy could help us, but, you know, a little word that we, um, a little song that we teach our kids. um, I may never walk with the infantry, ride with the cavalry, shoot the artillery. You know that song? You know the line, the, the last line goes. But I'm in the Lord's army. Unnamed nobodies, perhaps. I, I, I wonder how many rope holders are there at Grace Van People who never get a spotlight shined on them. People whose names uh, pass into uh, ancient history never known. But without them, the whole enterprise would have failed. How many of you are out there? Because there's a bunch of you whose names don't get lighted up. You're just a rope holder. But without you, ladies and gentlemen, the job couldn't get done. Paul is the undisputed leader. But without the rope holders, he would have never accomplished anything. That's like many of you, just rope holders. But um, the whole enterprise, the whole kingdom enterprise is tied to what you're up to. Now, let me mention two other things. And um, and and we're finished, guys. When you read the last eleven chapters of the uh, of the book of Acts, one of the distinct impressions that are made that you can't avoid is that Paul was very intentional, very determined to reach people with this message. You know that. I mean, these were um, missionary journeys that Paul took. Paul is determined to get this message out. You agree with that, don't you? I mean, uh, that's that's kind of hard to avoid. Well, um, that's hard hard to avoid seeing. He was uh, he was confronted by a culture. Guys, take a look with uh, with me at um, at chapter eighteen. There is a there's an interesting statement uh, about, uh, an interesting description of the um, of the culture in which Paul was trying to reach. Um, you there? Chapter 18, verse 18. Now, again, this is a, this is a a riot. Excuse me, I'm not, it's chapter 19, I think. Yeah. Chapter 19, uh, verse 35 and 36. This is a riot that is taking place in the city of Ephesus. And they're about to kill Paul. And in verse 35, the city clerk had quieted the crowd, and he said, Men of Ephesus, what man is there who does not know the city of the Ephesians is temple guardian of the great goddess Diana and of the image which fell down from Zeus? These, therefore, since these things cannot be denied, you ought to be quiet and do nothing rashly. Did you get that? Riots taking place. Paul caused it. Uh, people are trying to, you know, throw stones at Paul. And the city clerk gathers everybody together and says, Listen, y'all, calm down. Everybody knows that this city is the temple guardian of the great goddess Diana. And since nobody can deny that, guys, um, Paul is trying to take the gospel to a culture that says, Everybody knows. That truth is relative, for instance, or everybody knows that all paths lead up the mountain to God. Paul is dealing with a culture similar to ours. He's dealing with a culture that believes lies, like you see here in chapter 19. Now, all that to say this, this was one determined man. One determined man to get the message to people who are completely biased against what Paul is saying. Just like our culture. Now, when I was studying all this, I I couldn't help but be impacted by the determination that Paul had to reach these people no matter how lost they were. Which brings me to a story. Um, When we were in Budapest, we stayed in a place called the Millennium. It was a nice place, and uh, basically the Millennium was a motel that was designed for long-term visitors who were there on business. The longer you stayed at the millennium, the cheaper your price was. And um, as a part of the price, there was included a breakfast, a, a nice breakfast. And so every morning, I always get up before Susie. And um, so every morning I would get up, I would throw on something and head down to this breakfast area and uh, eat my, take my Bible, study the chapters in Acts. And I would sit there at a the table and have my Bible and have my papers all spread out and just study in the book of Acts. About 7.30 every morning, a group came in to eat breakfast. And um, these folks were decked out. That is, they were obviously there on business. They had on business suits and business uh, dresses and makeup and ties. And they were, they were you know getting some coffee and getting ready for their day. And there I was, sitting at a table, uh, dressed in something just above pajamas, Um, with my Bible on my table, and and, and they looked very curiously at what this guy was doing over there with that black book. Now, I tell you that to say this. Here I am, confronted with the Apostle Paul, who is determined to reach the culture. And the culture was about that far from me. Now, I'm not real sure they spoke English. I'm not real sure, because I never heard them speak any English. But forget that for a second. I'm sitting there studying the Book of Acts, and I've got my pajamas on. It's not quite pajamas, but um, and I'm uh, got my papers, and I'm studying about the Apostle Paul is going to reach the culture, and they don't believe the things that you do, and, and uh, you know he's determined to reach them. I'm thinking, hmm, hmm. I wonder, um, I wonder if I'm that determined. Uh-uh. No, you're not. So then I began to dig around in my soul and figure out, okay, why not? There they are, right there. They're looking curiously at your Bible. Maybe it was your clothes. But um they're, they're looking over at me, you know, and they kind of, and say something in German, I guess. I, I, but they were, they, they knew I was there, because I was there morning after morning, and so were they. Same little group. And um So I'm thinking, okay, how can I reach these people with this message that that Paul was using to reach his culture? I remembered a statement that was made by the preacher when I first became a Christian. Jim Kennedy, you know that name? Jim Kennedy once said this. He said, the reason that we're not more intentional with the gospel is either, number one, we don't believe it ourselves, or number two, we don't care. So I looked at those people sitting close to me and and uh, knew that they were from a different world, just like those people in Ephesus were different worlded from Paul. And I thought, you know, Paul, why I'm going to reach them, but I didn't. And and um. I struggled with why I didn't reach him. And I thought, is it because I don't care? And it really wasn't I didn't care. Is it because I don't believe it myself? No, it's not because I don't believe it myself. I don't think. I think I believe this thing. But as I dug around in my own soul, ladies and gentlemen, this is the conclusion that I came to. Um, the thing that stopped me from being as aggressive as the Apostle Paul. This ain't easy. The, the thing that stopped me is that it's all about me. What I mean by that, ladies and gentlemen, is I so, want, I so wanted those people not to think ill of me. You know, I even thought about going and changing my clothes, but I, God, I never... Never went quite that far. But um, my burden for them was not as large as my burden for me. Um, My concern about their well-being spiritually was not as big as my concern about what they might think of me were I to engage them with this thing that I say I believe. again... Um, tell me, we sit here and read the book of Acts and we see the Apostle Paul and we see him so aggressive, have you yet asked why aren't we? Surely I'm not the only one to have asked that. Why aren't we? Or are you? Are you? I hope you are, but why aren't we? I want to suggest to you, ladies and gentlemen, that that much of the reason, or, or maybe the Maybe maybe the reason you don't is the reason that I don't. Maybe there's a whole lot more concern about people's um, uh, estimate of who we are. And so um, this culture that we say we're determined to reach, we give and we pray. But the real issue has to do, ladies and gentlemen, with with it, that it's all about me. Gang, I think before we ever become as aggressive and as intentional as Apostle Paul, there's a great work that's going to have to go on in each of us. A work that the Holy Spirit must perform as he, as he uh, takes us to the place where we're far less concerned about self and self-interests. And until that is conquered, ladies and gentlemen, I think we'll go on in our silence. That was the third thing, and then one more thing and I'm finished. I want you to see something. It's uh, it's found a couple of places in uh, in this last cha- let's start at chapter 22. Acts chapter 22. It's found here, it's found in chapter 26 the same statement. I'm going to read you, you the statement just out of 22. Acts 22, verses 7 and 8. And I fell to the ground, and I heard a voice saying to me, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? So I answered, Who are you, Lord? And he said to me, I am Jesus of Nazareth, whom you are persecuting. Now, let me point out that that's found in chapter 26. It's found also in chapter nine of the book of Acts. Um, Did you notice anything odd about it? A voice from heaven comes to Paul as he is on his way to Damascus, and the voice, or this bright light, strikes him down, and the voice says, Paul, why are you persecuting the Christians in Jerusalem? Didn't say they did it. It says, why are you persecuting me? Jesus asked the Apostle Paul, why are you persecuting me? Now, guys, let me say this first. That question is found three times in the book of Acts. It's found in chapter 9 when it occurred, and it's found two more times when Paul is giving his testimony. The Holy Spirit of God thought it was important that that question be posed to us. That there's something in there that he would have us know. What is it? What is it about that question that's intriguing, ladies and gentlemen? Tell me, was Paul persecuting Jesus? Not really. He was persecuting, he was abusing Jesus' people who were gathered in Jerusalem. But here's the point, guys. Jesus Christ so closely identifies himself with his people that when you touch me, you touch him. If you persecute me, you persecute him. Gang, you and I are in such an incredible union with Jesus Christ that to touch him is to touch us. Did you know that? I have to tell you that if I, um, if I had to identify my life's message, it would be this. It would be this, that you and I are in union with Christ. I am loved by the Father like the Son is loved by the Father. The only possibility of me being lost is if the Son is lost. Because I am identified, I am in union with with Jesus Christ. Let me tell you a quick story and we'll wrap this up. Guys, years ago, and I don't even know what years it was, but um, when the Golden Gate Bridge was being built in San Francisco, you've heard of that bridge, surely. When that bridge was being built, 23 men fell to their death by falling off of the, uh, the bridge into the uh, Pacific. 23 men were killed. So about halfway into it, they decided that they needed to put a safety net underneath the, this construction project, uh, the Golden Gate Bridge. After they put the, um, the safety net under it, ten more men fell. None of them died. And the overall output and work uh, production of those working on the bridge Uh, went up by 25%. And why is that? Because there was a sense of safety. There was a sense of security underneath them. Ladies and gentlemen, I am suggesting to you that the one thing that would work in us to uh, produce in us a greater productivity is the sense, is the knowledge that I am safe. Gang, do you know that because of the accomplished work of Christ, you are safe? Do you understand that underneath you is something that will support you everlastingly? Do you know, ladies and gentlemen, that the only way that you can be lost is if Jesus is lost? Do you understand something about the enormity of being in union with Christ, do you understand that to touch you is to touch Him? Guys, that's not just uh, theology for theology's sake. Once you know you're safe, once you know you're secure in Christ, the whole performance of the believer changes. We're no longer examining with great scrutiny all of our failings and our our uh, sin. We're grieved by it, indeed, but we're convinced that we're safe, folks. Uh, I with this, I'll quit. The good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ is not that you're. Got a ticket to heaven stuck in your pocket, and then when you die, you're going to heaven. That's not the good news of the gospel. The good news of the gospel is this. You're in union with Christ. And because you are, we are eternally and everlastingly safe. Our Father, I do plead with you to um, convince your people that what you have done for us in Christ is not simply blot out our sin. Of course, that has been done. But what you have done is so transform us that we are now in an everlasting union with Jesus Christ. Never to be lost. Never to be threatened even by our own failings. Father, assure us of our safety. And then, oh God, we do pray for that work of the Holy Spirit in us that would deliver us from such selfish concerns and would make us more eager to reach a culture that is so lost. Father, we commit ourselves to that. And we pray that by the power of the Holy Spirit, you will produce it. We ask it, of course, for Jesus' sake.